1: She doesn't have to die. Everybody dies, Sally. The thing is to die well. Jack, that's not the survivor you promised me.
0: No, it's not.
1: What said was, how can a
2: man die better than facing fearful odds get inside,
1: get inside
2: the ashes of his fathers and the temples of his gods.
1: I created you, Jeff. I am your god.
0: you Sally.
1: how can a man die better than facing fearful odds for the ashes of his fathers and the temples of his gods simple he can't To give your life in the service of wisdom and against the Archons is never to be forgotten. And that is to truly never die. And eternal life is always, always found in the womb of death. We're all mostly dead anyway. And in the battle for what is true and what is real is where we wake up to becoming fully alive. Giving of yourself to something or in being annihilated actually, physically, uh, to return, you might say, or to recognize. Life is always on the edge of death, always. And one should lack fear and have the courage of life. That's the principal initiation of all of the heroic uh, stories. And yes, that's from Scientology Tom's post-apocalyptic film, Oblivion the fearless warrior theme appropriate for this week's episode. Oblivion is insanely Gnostic as well, from the demiurgic megabitch A.I. Sally to the Cruise character realizing he's a construct living in a false reality all to feed his mistress. You won't get anything from me.
2: My memory's been wiped to protect the security of the mission.
1: You can't have your precious memory falling into the wrong hands, now can okay. you? Don't ask too many questions. It's not part of the job description. And in any simulation, it's all about being willing to die for a higher cause and following the call of your higher authentic self. As Philip K. Dick wrote, The true measure of a man is not his intelligence or how high he rises in this freak establishment. No, the true measure of a man is this. How quickly can he respond to the needs of others and how much of himself he can give. No single thing abides and all things are fucked up. A man is an angel that has gone deranged. Do you have any memories?
0: Before the mission. Before the security went.
1: Our job is not to remember. Remember. Do you remember her? Ready to pimp-slap Sally and no longer be a deranged angel? Great. Because you have arrived at Aeon bite In these last days of human consciousness. In this age of Hermes. These Gnostic times. And this Philip K. Dick world. I hope you're ready to die to your old ignorant version and into something genuinely alive and loving, just as the Cruise character does after ostensibly dying along with Sally in her womb of death floating above Earth. To
0: live is to risk it all. Otherwise, you're just an inert chunk of randomly assembled molecules drifting wherever the universe
1: blows you. Oh, I'm sorry, Jerry. For this noble quest, We have the Aeonic pleasure being joined at the Virtual Alexandria by martial arts expert, Freemason, and seasoned esoteric researcher, Angel Millar. He will be discussing his new book, The Path of the Warrior Mystic, Being a Man in an Age of Chaos. Bigly, everyone is kung fu fighting gnosis, regardless of your gender. This sensibility reminds me of the Manichaean myth at the beginning of creation where the primal man or the hermaphrodite or Adam Cadman must battle the kingdom of darkness accepting he'll be torn to pieces and swallowed up but knowing his essence will be the divine sparks scattered in matter that will eventually bring about the doom of the archons. Your power is a weak old man. Can't win, Darth. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. You have two paths to pick here at the end of the world. Which one will you choose? One path is a classical Gnostic, astral ninja, or multiverse marine. They were the heirs of the shamans and Egyptian mages, who crossed the dangerous spheres of reality, searching for data and energy to level up their spirits and renew the tribe or kingdom. In short, the classical Gnostics, as well as the Neoplatonists and Hermeticists, went to war with the high places. They Dared the various dimensions, avoiding or engaging magically with angels and archons and lost spirits, risking their sanity and souls, until they stood before the throne of ultimate consciousness and returned with the Holy Grail of Gnosis. This is where we hold them! This is where we fight! This is where they die! And they did it again and again in the name of Sophia their queen and Hermes their cosmic jester. Again and again astral questing to the depths of hell and the highest spires of heaven where Yaldabaoth tried his best to stop them. Again and again they kept going. They died to their old selves and became higher than the gods higher than Sally.
0: The world will know that free man stood
2: against a tyrant, that few stood against many.
1: The path of being an astral ninja or multiverse marine is sometimes necessary. Heck and Hecate, this early autumn was hard on me for several personal and mental reasons. I struggled and felt myself being swallowed by the kingdom of darkness but I went to war. I increased my meditation, my exercise, my holistic practices. Tenfold I did. I researched more and prayed harder. I scared myself by taking risks to remind myself that life, as always, is found in the womb of death, but also on the edges of danger. I went to battle, and if I lose in the end, at least I'll do it honorably, but I am no longer the person I was early in the fall, and that is good.
0: There's this wonderful report of the Indians
2: riding into the rain of bullets from Custer's men and they're saying, it's a
1: good day to die. It's a great day to die. They're not hanging on. The second path is that of the passive but untouchable mystic ranger who stands under the storm with the armor of eternity and the shield of the kind heart. Non-attachment is winning, and inner peace is the gaining of the Holy Grail. As Ali ibn Abi Talib said, detachment is not that you should own nothing, but that nothing should own you. Things you own end up owning you. Train yourself to let go of everything you fear
0: to lose
1: or as the gospel of Thomas says become a passerby and as the Sufis say life is a bridge to cross and not build upon lastly I like this saying from the Islamic Jesus Christ passed by a group of people who hurled insults at him and he responded with blessings he passed by a group of people who hurled insults at him And he responded likewise. One of his disciples asked, Why is that the more they insult you, the more you bless them, as if inviting this upon yourself? Christ said, A person can bring forth only what is within him.
0: If we have souls, they are made of the love we share, undimmed by time, unbound
1: by death. So which one should you be? Which paths should you take? An astral ninja or multiverse marine who embraces the saying, do no harm, but take no shit. Or be an untouchable mystic ranger with so much wonder to bring forth. I say both, for you have both within you. How do you know which one to be at certain times? That's where wisdom comes in, for ultimately, we are in a war against the collapsing of creation into complete ignorance. Adjust your Ragnarok jockstrap accordingly. What happened to the warriors at Palmopoli? Dead to the last man. Trust me, what you have within you what you forgot was within you before Sally sank you into oblivion, is infinite, beautiful, and ultimately hazardous to any wickedness in high places. And it may seem all crazy. How crazy? Well, one of my favorite warrior stories is that of marine engineer Sutomu Yamaguchi in World War II. He was on a mission at Hiroshima the day the bomb fell, and he survived. Despite his wounds and trauma, he held on to his duty and returned to his hometown the following morning. Guess where he lived? Fucking Nagasaki. Oh dear Lord, Jesus, this ain't happening, man. This can't be happening, man, this ain't happening. While his superior was berating him for making up a nonsense story about a bomb powerful enough to destroy an entire city, the second bomb landed on his ass. And you know what? He survived that one too. How in Odin's dingleberries does someone survive two atomic bombs? Two? I don't know. But I know if Sutomu can overcome the hellfire of the establishment, the cruelty of fortune and fate, with honor and acceptance, so can we. And so is the providence of Sophia when all seems lost and nothing seems to make sense. It's said that the worst thing to come out of Pandora's box were not the sorrows or the plagues. It was hope itself. Hope's a gamble. Hope certainty. Now comes the biggest fight of your existences. Let us find those tools and weapons with Angel Millar. There were a couple of weird background sounds during the interview, but that's life and podcasting, and they were temporal. Maybe it was Sally and her Archons. Who knows? Regardless, amazing chat. But first, don't let fear be the mind killer and embrace life as you do death. Silence. Mm. <laughs> mm. Fear is the mind killer.
0: Fear is the little death that brings obliteration. Mm. And I'll face my fear and I'll permit it to pass over me and me. The mind has come up. And where the
2: fear is gone, there is nothing. Wake up! Keep her. Only I will remain. The man is not feared. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the root
0: The mystery of life isn't a problem to solve. reality to experience a process
2: that cannot be understood by stopping it we must move with the flow of the process we must join it
0: we must flow with it
1: This is the Aeon Bide interview, and with us we have the pleasure of being joined by Angel Millar to discuss his book, The Path of the Warrior Mystic, Being a Man in an Age of Chaos. And we would also like to touch upon the book that came out last year, uh, which is also very good. I read both books, and the, the second book, the earlier book, is The Three Stages of Initiatic Spirituality. Angel, thank you very much for coming on the show.
0: Oh, thanks very much. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Pleasure is all ours and always a pleasure to have the Moondog Vans. Vans, how are you doing?
2: Oh, I'm fine this sunny morning in California. Looking forward to seeing what it is to be a warrior mystic.
1: We shall find out. So, uh, yeah, Angel, why don't we start there? What is, you might say, the thesis of your book, The Path of the Warrior Mystic?
0: Yeah. So really, it's a journey of a spiritual maturation, you could say, and of, um, acting in the world towards one's uh, higher self, but drawing specifically on the warrior and the mystic. So the path actually starts out with the warrior and a discussion of chivalry, uh and of the physical body that ends with the mystic. And um, I'm using the term mystic in two senses, uh from uh the British historian Arnold Toynbee. And um uh, he and, and I are using the This uh, term to mean both the sort of mystic, uh, the prophet who receives a revelation and then goes into society and transforms it, uh, as well as the creator or the creator who transforms society in a certain way. So you could think... uh, of the mystic in one sense of being someone like the prophet Muhammad, but you could also think as well of someone like Picasso who transforms our way of thinking through, uh, through his artistic uh, genres and then bringing these together and uh, classically uh, speaking, the higher type of warrior in probably every civilization um, brought together both the arts of war and the arts of peace. So, Uh, The spear, wrestling, the sword in particular, of course, uh, charioteering, uh, archery, but also calligraphy, painting, uh, poetry, most especially, and uh, other arts as well in one person
1: yeah it's uh I, like i said i enjoyed your book and i think uh this sort of uh lost warrior archetype is uh more needed than ever especially for uh the male yeah. sex that it seems very lost on his position and what he should do in the society i was uh angel i reminded of the movie the last samurai have you watched it i haven't
0: but i know which movie you're referring to
1: yeah and i know the movie gets criticized for the white savior trope but i say for those of you getting all offended that historically there were westerners that fought alongside the samurai in japan and uh i like movies where you we focus on the culture and you don't have to do all this changing but there was a time when if you wanted to uh, do a big historical movie if you wanted seats in the theater you had to sort of shoehorn in someone like uh Tom Cruise or Arnold Schwarzenegger or uh Denzel Washington or even Jackie Chan it's just the way Hollywood was and we it's another era but anyway beyond this speech i think of um Lord uh lord katsamuro in the movie and he really embodies this because he's a bloodthirsty samurai but he's also a philosopher he meditates he does yeah. uh poetry he likes to be an actor and plays so he sort of i yeah. would say embodies what you're talking about someone who is both uh violence and art yeah that's right and it, the japanese actually have a term for it bumbu Ryodo
0: and um it means uh, the way of uh essentially the way of civilization or the way of arts and or, or the way of literature and the martial arts together as one but uh, you find this elsewhere as well of course um plato the ancient greek philosopher said that education should be through uh music wrestling and philosophy yeah and even um uh, reflecting the figure you just mentioned, among the uh, the Vikings, there was uh, Egil Skala Grimson, who was known as a particularly bloodthirsty warrior, but uh, was also renowned as a poet. And he, ha- he was actually the first person in Norse poetry to use end rhyme rather than rhyming at the beginning wow. of the sentence. So, you know, revolutionary in poetry as well as a bloodthirsty warrior as well. So,
1: yeah and no, even the like the knights templar they were uh, vicious fighters but they right. were very pious monks at the same time they lived in both right. worlds right life and That's death right. spirit and matter
0: Yeah, that's right. And that's the other element with this combination of the hard and soft arts behind it. There's uh, always some kind of religion or spirituality, obviously, with uh, the samurai, that would be Zen Buddhism. But uh, yeah, with the the Crusader Knights um, as well, you have a figure like uh, uh, Richard the Lionheart, who is renowned for his interest in um, poetry and in culture in general. And he's supposed to have uh, invited uh, musicians from from uh, Saladin's uh, camp, the enemy camp, oh. to come and play Arabic music for him, which he is also supposed to have loved as well. So, so you, there, there is this kind of ability with the warrior to um, uh, to appreciate uh, even the civilization that it is ostensibly fighting, uh, because there's this higher element to the warrior, uh, which is different to the uh, the mercenary or the soldier or the the modern individual in general, where we cannot appreciate things of other cultures. Um, Or maybe we appreciate them without appreciating our own as well, uh, and kind of fetishize the other culture. Uh, But with the warrior, you have this genuine appreciation.
1: Oh, agreed. And I think, uh, that's something also men almost need to learn. I think women are the stargate of life and death. And as the ancients knew, life is really found in the womb of death. And that's a, it's a dichotomy yeah. to be a whole person. Uh, that's where it's found the, the truth, uh, eternal life and all that. And, uh, I always, um, like in, um, there's a story of a samurai and i've said this before on the show angel and there's a samurai he meets uh, another soldier or somebody on the road and they get into an argument and uh, they're gonna fight and the the other person spits in the samurai's face and the samurai walks off and the people reading the story is like oh what a coward but what happened is according to the code he could not fight out of emotion he couldn't strike somebody down with anger. It had to be just honor or what was going on. So he had to go and meditate until his anger subsided and then go fight the guy.
0: Yeah, that actual story is in Islamic tradition as well. Oh, the really? same story is said about Ali.
1: Yeah, and I think actually that might be the origin of that samurai story. Uh, yeah. So they had a code too, even even in Islam, a very uh, stern code to be a warrior.
0: Yeah so Islamic chivalry is called futawa which translates literally as young manhood but um it's generally translated as chivalry but yeah there is a, a code which is you know similar to uh, uh, other forms of chivalry as well and again there you also find uh, the idea of learning both the so- the soft arts and the hard arts as well so
1: I also really when watching that movie I also thought of a uh, uh again how ideas come to you and ironically i was in portland doing a presentation at the freemason hall and you've done a presentation there too i was told at uh, the scottish Rite in downtown portland and i was at the hotel and i turned on uh, the tv and there was this movie mel gibson movie hacksaw ridge and i was like oh this is okay it's kind of cool about this christian guy that wouldn't fight in the war because of his beliefs but the part that got me all excited was when the Japanese are finally being defeated, you have a shot of the Japanese Colonel or general doing the harikiri, And I got really emotional. I was like, what? And in my head, I was like, this is a true man. And I'm like, and I'm questioning, wait, he's killing. And then I realized it's almost the ultimate form of honor for a man to give his life for something greater. and also that even when you are disgraced when you you know this general was disgraced because he was losing to the americans that you can salvage your life your honor Mm. and your soul by simply dying right yeah so it's interesting how the sort of you might say the male mind works but it has Mm -hmm. to be learned don't you think
0: um yeah uh, to some degree yeah although i think it is in the nature of men and young men to sort of fantasize about a death in battle as well. So I think, I think that's probably actually quite a common thing, but the the idea of actually going through with it. Yeah. I think that (laughs) that takes some conditioning.
1: Yeah, and your book has a lot of really great advice on how to become a warrior mystic and what needs to be done, and you draw in from all these traditions. It's a very rich journey across the world, across philosophy, across history, and uh, uh, maybe you could share some advice, especially because men need it more than ever today, but what I caught in your book was the idea of... uh, before you go into battle with the world or your career or whatever, you have to kill your inner critic, right? And you even right. call it it's it's the main demon that takes us down. Yeah, that's right. The inner
0: critic and the inner victim and of course, today, uh, there's a great appeal for us to be victims and a great appeal for us to criticize and um, really the, the critics are held up in a sense as, as modern heroes, you know, those who criticize, um, particularly <laughs> yeah. in the re- the world of politics. Or can or can criticize art from a political perspective or anything from a political perspective are considered to be the sort of intellectual heroes of our society, even though they actually contribute nothing to our society ultimately and, and will eventually be forgotten. Um you know, previously people found their worth in contributing to society and in creativity. And, um, you know, of course, at one point, if you went back far enough, even things like uh, hearing music, people would sing songs, they weren't able to listen uh, to pre recorded music, there was nothing to play them on or making food or whatever it may be. So people were in a sense, much more creatively engaged or passing along stories from one generation to the next. And today, I think, especially uh, with the very manipulative, uh, settings on those algorithms, uh, we are very much being turned into these critics who criticize all the time and, um, and end up spending, or a lot of people end up spending their lives criticizing. And, um, you know, Gurdjieff, G.I. Gurdjieff, said that, uh, that people would give up their happiness before they would give up their suffering. And it seems like a weird <laughs> thing. Like, why would that be? Can that even be right? And I think most people would say that's actually ridiculous. But, of course, you know, you can see that in the, you know, the angry religious zealot or the angry Uh, political fanatic, uh, who might live a quite comfortable life, actually, but they would rather give up their happiness and be angry, than give up their suffering, which they exaggerate often. And uh, certainly, we have to kill this inner critic, this inner victim, and begin to begin to focus on what we can do
1: yeah it reminds me i forget the name got the name of the author he wrote true believer he said uh oh yeah a zealot." yeah what's his name oh my god i was just listening reading his book last week but he said uh, a zealot is not afraid of persecution but he's afraid of freedom yeah and that's that, right yeah yeah that's really the big takeaway of that book that
0: it's a kind of escape from freedom and and, and uh, you know this trying to submerge oneself in the mass to kind of escape uh, personal responsibility, which is very much indicative of our own age in a certain sense.
1: Indeed. Well said. And uh, where is he? Yeah. Uh, what was the name of the book? Eric Hoffer, of course, for those yeah, of you. Yeah, yeah. The book is still, uh, it's a timeless book, even though it came out right after World War II, but it really yeah, it helps is. you understand mass movements and authoritarian uh, psychologies and all that. A brilliant yeah. book. Um, yeah but um how would you say are some of the ways to kill your inner critic or understand it or i guess if we associate the inner critic with a uh, jung shadow integrated or what mm. what is what's some advice for people cuz i still go through it i'm uh, right. you know a thousand times better but something goes south and i am like carrying my cross across the house you know, in front yeah. of my children woe is me it's not going to yeah. work out fuck it all
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we have to withdraw from other people who are critics and criticizers and especially from people online and not getting involved in those discussions with people. Um, if that's what they, how they want to spend their lives, then that's too bad for them. But uh, we definitely need to detach ourselves from that and realize that, you know, people aren't online, because they want to be engaged in a reasonable discussion, they're there to, (laughs) to win, and they're there to look good. And if you Correct them um even you know legitimately uh, they're gonna take offense because you're criticizing their identity and it's really about identity it's, it's a new fashion now that fashion is dead, so we have to remove ourselves from that sort of situation and not get sucked into these productiveless um, uh, in activities online and then we need to focus on some kind of uh thing that we are um Aiming towards, so whether that's a martial art or learning yoga or learning some kind of skill, and uh, I'm really pursuing that to the best of our uh, ability and with diligence, uh, routinely, uh, preferably several times a week, if not every day to some degree. And then I would say, you know, beyond that, you have to kind of look around at different uh cultures or different uh cultural phenomena and um you know with the higher type of warrior uh, as we were i think we were saying earlier uh you find this uh, union of uh, the hard and the soft arts and um you know in the uh, late samurai manual the hagukura uh, i paraphrase slightly but it says uh you know, if once you master a way, uh, when you come into contact with other ways, uh, you should be more and more in accord with your own. And so you find uh, someone who practices the way of the sword, uh, becoming a master calligrapher or a master painter, or studying the tea ceremony, or wherever, whatever it may be, and learning more about the sword as a result. And so we have to pursue something very deeply while able to look at other arts, even things that are very different to our own and seeing uh, how it relates
1: to our own in terms of the principles and you've certainly uh, as they say you eat your own dog food you have uh, done all of these things you're in a you're a right. freemason you uh do, you uh, practice kung fu hypnotism yeah. you've actually right. done everything and found your own path yeah. angels unique path Yeah. And I also
0: studied uh, fine art under a uh, pretty successful painter a a few decades ago as well. So, so yeah. So, so, you know, on the one hand, it is all, it's all, um, historically accurate, but I also uh, draw from my own experience or maybe filter it through my own experience as well. So uh, hopefully I'm living a life that resembles this sort of classical higher ideal, at least to a certain degree, to the best of my ability anyway
1: yeah yeah exactly yeah. and uh, uh, another point of your book and a uh, very important point and very relevant to our days is that uh, we have become too focused on safety and that's just yeah. not reality and there's a quote no. in your book and i wrote it down and actually put it on my wall as a <laughs> reminder angel and wow. you write though we may live to see the black hole of a dystopian future we must face the fact that there will never be a utopia on earth brilliant right? yeah no that one not.
0: and uh in regards to safety uh there's a um uh, the, the, really the founder of sociology ibn Khaldun, who i believe lived in around the 16th century if i'm getting my days correct uh he was born in tunis and, uh, he observed many different dynasties, uh, rising and falling throughout his life. And, uh, he came to the conclusion that dynasties, uh, move through, through, through three generations or what we could just call three stages. Uh, and he says in the first uh, stage, a warrior band will swoop down on a senescent dynasty um, that is ripe for the picking, and will take it over. Uh, but they won't live um, in, in luxury. They'll still live on, sleep on the floor. Uh, they don't really like luxury. They kind of push it away, but they've taken over the dynasty and they retain these sort of desert values or what Americans might call the frontier values. And then in the second generation, um, they, uh, they admire the warrior values, the desert values, and they secretly wish for their return, but they also enjoy luxury, even though they can kind of see that it's an illusion. And then in the th- final stage, uh, the people are uh, only really interested in their own safety and in luxury. And at that point, a new warrior band will swoop down, according to Ibn Khaldun, and take over the dynasty and will reinitiate this cycle all over again. And um, and certainly, I think that a preoccupation with safety uh, is, is an inclination that Uh, a civilization is drawing to a close, or if not a civilization, then an era. And I think we have to respond to that, either by creating something new, or, um, or accepting uh, what may possibly come. And I I would suggest creating something new might be better, uh, but drawing on timeless uh, principles, hopefully.
1: It reminds me of a a saying I've seen a lot lately on the internet that goes, uh, strong men create good societies, good societies create weak men, weak men create bad societies, bad societies create strong men. Kind of a similar cycle.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think uh, Ibn Khaldun would probably agree with that, actually.
1: (laughs) He'd have a meme on his computer. (laughs) Yeah, he would, he would, yeah. Yeah, well, uh, here we are. What cycle are we at today? What do you think you would say?
0: Oh, I, I would definitely say we're in the final cycle. <laughs> Kali <laughs> yeah.
1: Yuga all the way, baby.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's uh, very much like the Kali Yuga, but on a much smaller scale in time-wise, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and... uh Beyond, oh, and going back also to to advice on the warrior, too. Mm -hmm. uh, I think another great advice, and I think this needs to be always hammered with people, is don't compare yourself to anybody. There's only one path for Angel or Miguel Vance, right? And that's a hard one, especially on the internet when you see all these people that pretend to have good lives.
0: (laughs) Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, much of it is pretending, of course. And, um, You know, the internet is not reality. Reality is what you do in your life and who you become and what you pursue. And, uh, yeah, and obviously there will be overlap between one life and the next or, you know, one person who practices yoga or martial arts and the next. But ultimately, um, we're all going to have to find our own way in this this time where there are not very many uh, clear uh, roadmaps
1: well said i agree with that too uh, now going back to where we are today and the situation and how your book mm. helps rectify it uh you write uh that and especially with what has happened in 2020 and 2021 yeah is fear fear and anxiety have settled across the globe and mm. you write that uh that basically on fear that life is always quote thinly veiled chaos so you think that fear is us not wanting to especially men embrace the chaos the unknown
0: yeah well it's definitely that Uh, most people do not want to acknowledge that life is chaos most people think that that life can be managed, especially through large corporations and big governments, mm-hmm. and, and that they w- we will then be safe if they get in control and tell us what to do. Um, history tells us that we're probably less safe than ever. But um, but I think, uh, in a way, it's more to it than that. You know, in, in the past, um, people viewed the world through the through the lens of faith and today people view the world through the lens of fear and fear in a sense is a new type of faith and um you know this we see a lot of people online who are constantly afraid and they say i i was offended by that or i felt i felt (laughs) afraid i felt afraid by that or or I felt threatened. And of course, the the question we should always ask is, well, was that a reasonable response? Was there a reason to feel afraid? And obviously there's not, but uh, fear has become this sort of magic thing where if I feel afraid I'm justified in whatever I do but but also I'm going to see I'm going to see the world through the lens of fear and then the world will make sense to me and uh, and as I say in the past uh, people viewed the world through the lens of faith and if it and doing that they would ask well does it make sense to me now and um you know there's a christian saying and i'm not a christian uh, by any stretch of the imagination but uh you know the bible says um, a fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom and uh, today we think oh my goodness that is an incredibly <laughs> oppressive statement and and it really depends on of course what situation you're in, whether that's a, an oppressive statement or a liberating statement. And sure, today, if you're laying on your couch munching on Cheetos every night, it's <laughs> oppressive because why would you want to fear the Lord? You already you know, got everything you want, right. so you don't want to fear the Lord. But what if you're in battle and you're facing 100 uh, opponents well then it's going to be a great thing to fear the lord because you won't fear your enemy right it takes that away that's the point um so yeah so and but ultimately that comes back to faith you have faith in god and today fear is our lens to see everything through but it's not it doesn't take us out of ourselves it makes us uh less capable of acting not more capable of acting
1: Oh yeah, and uh I, I get the takeaway from your book and your advice is fear is wanting to control to stay with the normal. I was thinking, yeah, the normal that we have is this sort of uh uh left brain rational logical world where the roads are nice, the train is on time, I get to work out every day at eight in the morning, and life is just normal. But uh Angel That's not reality. That's not even, that's maybe half of reality, because there is, as you write, there is chaos. There's the lunar powers. There's the artistic, the divine feminine. There is all Mm -hmm. that, and we've sort of denied it and robbed ourselves of, so much uh wholeness because of it you always wonder i mean i'm getting poetic here you wonder well maybe that's what this virus did it reminded us that that there is chaos in nature and we better pay attention yeah i think that's actually very true i think a lot of people have woken up over the
0: last year and thought well why am i investing myself in this job that i don't really like to live in an apartment that's got noisy neighbors all around (laughs) it and I don't know anyone in the apartment block anyway or anyone on my street, and I'm isolated what What's the big deal with this? and I think yeah, that's made people really uh, realize there might be other things to life. Um, you know Americans are quite isolated in a way, and oh yeah yeah, so I think that that's had a shock, but yeah, certainly chaos is always ready to loom and and the twentieth century had plenty of chaos in it. The, two world wars, plus other wars like Korea, Vietnam, and so on. And so you can see why people might want to get away from chaos. And I think um, for the generation or two older than me, um, you know, they were, in a sense, they, especially yeah, I grew up in Britain, I live in the US now, but, but, you know, I, my parents or grandparents' generations really wanted to, um, focus on the material because their their country had been pretty much devastated. You know, there were cities that were, you know, bombed to rubble. And, um, you know, if you're a returning soldier from war and you don't know where your street is because it's rubble and all the streets around it are rubble, uh, you know, you're not going back to your American white picket fence. You're going back to a bomb crater and that's your home. And um, you can see why people would want to have a sort of more conservative a focused uh, world, focusing on let's make money, let's let's get material wealth, and uh, obviously at a certain point, and I think the 1960s would be that that began to break down. People thought that well, that's kind of soulless, and we're more interested in spirituality, and um, uh, and there is a, a desire for safety and a desire for predictability uh today. I think there's less curiosity than the nineteen sixties. But um yeah, ultimately we don't really know what's coming down the track and it's difficult to predict really. No one could have predicted COVID. And uh I think it will get more chaotic in the future.
1: Oh, I agree. And it sometimes breaks my heart because I talk to family members and the fear and I go and I realize is and I get what the fear is. You're really not afraid of the disease. You're yeah. afraid that we're not going to go back to 2019. And I want to yeah. tell them we're not going back. Just And I know it's hard to look ahead, but just we can make a different world, right, Angel? We can day a different career, different life, a different yeah. uh, psyche of men. Like you said, uh, uh, what happened in the 60s, or even as some have said, after the Black Death, we got the Renaissance. After the yeah. Spanish flu, we got the Roaring Twenties. So good things could come about.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And uh, this, these sort of chaotic reminders can shake people up and make them focus more on what's important. And, but I think, um, you know, this, this idea of uh, making a new world can also make people nervous because it can feel like. Do they mean some sort of communist takeover? And we're all going to be put in camps. But, but certainly, as you say, you know, if we're going to make a better world, I think it's going to be something that people have to do individually, one person at a time. And I think that that could be a very positive thing. And, and certainly we should all be thinking about making changes in our lives at this time. And hopefully that will be one good thing that does come out of this
1: last uh, year and a bit yeah I hope so as well and uh I think one technique you give in your book is that of contemplating death again that's where life is, and that's where you find peace in life uh, yeah what techniques do do you use or some traditions that you really admire use to uh, uh like they the Gnostics said uh, not taste death yeah
0: so well um as you know uh, that's what i i'm a freemason and in freemasonry there's quite a lot of uh, focus on mortality and death uh, not in the one i went through but in some in some lodges uh, and this is in- increasing now over the last 10 years uh, there's a they will often have a chamber of reflection where there's a black room with a skull and crossbones in it and you go meditate on your death and i've certainly been in several of those uh, but certainly just really thinking about my death um on maybe uh, maybe not on a daily basis but certainly uh, very, very frequently, and or maybe even on a daily basis, and thinking about what I want to do with the rest of my life, however long or short it may be. But uh, certainly, there are no guarantees. But it's certainly something to fix in the mind that uh, we're not immortal, and that, that we have a finite amount of time on this earth.
1: Yeah, that makes sense, and I mean, you can find it in different traditions. For example, the Tibetan yeah. Buddhists uh, are told to meditate not only on their death, but do it in a cemetery. Uh, yeah, that's so, right. Yeah, so it happens a lot, and of course, you've got the famous Hamlet holding the skull. He's contemplating yeah. his death. It it's in so many yeah. traditions in the mystery religions. That's I'm right. sure you know they would do yeah. the ritual, and they would walk out. and They wouldn't say what happened, but but they would say, "We no longer fear death." right
0: yeah and even uh, the, there's a catholic monk who is a catholic nun rather who's revived the the practice of memento mori meditating on death within catholicism which was around during the black death and um, you know i you don't know if this interests you but even in uh uh uh, some old uh, paintings I think from the 18th century maybe 17th century or 16th um, when somebody would have a portrait painted and they would be an aristocrat or a prince or a nobleman of some sort they would often have a skull on a skull uh, right. or skull and crossbones painted on the reverse which you could never see but it was a reminder this person will die or I will die so yeah it's a curious
1: yeah it's an important thing and uh, yeah Vince, what do you think or do you have a question or are you dressing up as a samurai to go out and fight <laughs> the shogun richard chamberlain remember shogun great series
2: oh yeah and you know, we just had some some uh some person confront the house uh, as as you were speaking and and wanting to do something to our lawn you know one of these guys that goes around trying to sell you stuff so um the, the fears of modern society from door-to-door salesmen. <laughs> oh, my
1: God.
2: <laughs> but uh, getting back to the more serious, yeah, I'm sitting here struggling with uh, the concept of warrior and the fact that, you know, warriors uh, have to commit violence to, uh, to protect things. Um, but the first question I would have, doesn't a warrior in the violent phase of a warrior, doesn't a warrior exist to protect the status quo, to protect normalcy, to counteract chaos? you know, in the form of other people invading the particular area and so forth?
0: Yes. Well, generally, that is the case. Yeah. So yeah, generally, warriors, well, sometimes they may be taking over other people's land, but often they are protecting their own culture from invasion as well. So yeah, they are trying to prevent chaos. That is true.
2: Yeah. So does the mystic warrior, you know, refrain Mm. from conquests and so forth because of the principles that they adhere to? And yeah. And what happens? uh, What what happens when a society is starving and the guys next door have what they need? uh, What what the first society that's starving needs to survive? Is you know, what's about the ethics?
0: Yeah. Well. I'm not sure if that would exactly be the case, but probably land would be affected much the same way if they're that close. But uh, I mean, in terms of historical warriors, warriors fought no matter how good they were at calligraphy or higher arts as well and killed people. And You know, Miyamoto Musashi may have been renowned for his poetry and his um, calligraphy. Uh, painting, also for landscape gardening, but he was a warrior at the end of the day who killed people. So, um, you know, it's definitely an element. And, um, you, you know, I think, to be perfectly blunt, uh, we should know how to defend ourselves and hopefully we will never have to use it. But there's nothing wrong with defending yourself if someone attacks you. It's actually Absolutely a good idea. Yeah. yeah. And um, and you know, in the West, and I think spiritual people in particular have this sort of Jesus um complex where they say, Oh no, <laughs> no, I could never defend myself. And I'll just let that person beat me up and it would be a good <laughs> spiritual lesson. No, it won't. What they will learn is they can they can victimize people and get away with it. So you won't be teaching them anything except to do more of it so you know sometimes we have to do things that are hard but defending ourselves i think that's something that everybody should be equipped to do and i i certainly recommend that men and women learn some sort of self-defense
1: yeah, I agree. Yeah. or like me i have three trained pit bulls so they yeah, do my so that's there you go yeah. <laughs> <laughs> any other questions Vance?
2: well um I was also wondering uh, uh, about the spiritual side of warriors. I mean, Mm. um, we haven't talked about that too much uh, at this point, but um, the definition of mystic that you gave um, didn't tell me about how warriors conceive of, or is it even necessary to conceive of the higher for the higher worlds, let's say the greater realities beyond the material.
0: Yeah, well I think it is, yeah. And certainly if you look at um, different warrior traditions such as uh Shaolin monks or Kalari Payat in India or Zerkana in Iran, um, definitely you find that the the otherworldly, the spiritual deity, these are all integral to, um, to these traditions. And, um, you know, if you, if you look at, uh, the Shaolin temple, for example, uh, they have the, the Shaolin, uh, guardian deity, Vajrapani, with all kinds of myths around him. Uh, Noticeably, he carries, instead of carrying the usual Vajra, he carries a wooden staff, which was one of the favored weapons of the monk. And so there is this kind of union of uh, Vajrapani and the monk. Um, In in, Kalari Payat in India, there's always a um, seven-storied altar with a statue of Kali, at the top of the altar in in those kalari payat um dojos where they uh, are hindu uh, there are some muslim ones and uh, in um Zarkana in iran or persia as it may have also have been called uh previously um the the Zarkana gymnasium is um modeled on the sufi temple and um, the performances are much like a Sufi performance with drumming and singing. There's always a picture of Ali on the wall. Uh, Ali was uh, uh, the cousin and son-in-law of uh, the Prophet Muhammad and the first convert to Islam. And he's also regarded to be the perfect warrior. And also, especially in Shia uh, Islam, he's also regarded as bringing the esoteric knowledge of the Quran. It um, should be stressed that that they don't mean that Muhammad didn't know the esoteric form, but that Muhammad brought the exoteric, and then uh, Islam- Ali brought the esoteric form. So he's also regarded as the perfect mystic as well. And uh, maybe, it, although it's just a detail, it should probably be mentioned that uh, even when they are doing repetitions of particular exercises during a performance, uh, the counting uh, has a spiritual connotations So instead of saying one they will say god is one instead of saying two they will say uh, god is not two and so you have all these islamic references in each number as well
1: and it should be mentioned too for the record and i'm going back to the last samurai uh when it uh, played in japan the japanese were like okay you guys you guys did a good job but you're kind of putting on a pedestal the samurai and you're not talking about how the Sam, there were plenty of corrupt materialistic samurai who were greedy. Same with knights. Yeah. There were plenty of corrupt knights. Same. So this is not, yeah. uh, we're not putting them on a pedestal like that. The, every knight or samurai is going to help feed the poor or anything like that. They're human and they no. fail. Well, not
0: only that, I think, you know, even even today we can see that even in, in corporations there are people who act responsibly and people who uh try and work the system and who are psychopaths and i'm sure that or look at our
1: military Ugh, corrupt yeah,
0: generals all over the place right yeah exactly and i'm sure that they've always been psychopaths and they've always got into high positions so unfortunate unfortunately you know that just might be the reality of human nature but uh, yeah certainly not every knight or warrior has embodied that uh embodied the highest ideals at all some of them were total psychopaths obviously yeah.
1: <laughs> yes indeed yes indeed and going back um to the point about men and women and mm-hmm. i think uh, i saw that on your book too uh, you sparked this idea and made me think about this you made me think a lot about a lot angel but you wrote uh about how again how we're wired differently men and and women but how as a woman gives birth So a man must suffer in his vocation. In other words, we have to learn. Again, the women are the portal of life and death. And they it's almost they know this instinctually. We men, we it's almost we have to be, oh, yeah, we have to be initiated. And you talk about some really intense ones like the Maori tribes doing circumcision with that anesthesia and other things like that. So, yeah, yeah, we men need to sort of learn about death and life.
0: Yeah. Well, one thing we need to do, I think, is um, you know, be initiated into manhood because, you know, when a girl becomes a woman and starts menstruating, she usually menstruates with the other women at the same time, and they are in sync with the lunar cycle as well. And so, and so it's very obvious for a woman that she's become a woman, that she's accepted into the company of women, and somehow women are also linked to nature at the same time. And, um, you know, I know that we feel we can have any kind of body we want these days. But uh, if we're speaking honestly and openly, um, you know, uh, w- if I look back and think of my first relationship when I was 16, I can definitely say that she had a woman's body, but I would not say that I had a man's body, uh, not by any stretch of the imagination. And I think for men uh, you know, we have to be initiated into manhood, but we also have to create our own body as well. And that's part of the process. And it's, um, it's a difficult one and it requires some kind of suffering, um, within an initiatic tradition, whether that's a martial tradition or, or something else.
1: And you feel maybe men have lost it in modern times that they should try to seek these, uh, initiatory systems whether it's uh taekwondo or freemace or anything yeah yeah definitely
0: it's i mean i think it's very
1: important to be
0: around men obviously martial arts so you women practice martial arts as well so it's not exclusively male but um you know it's important for men and young men in particular to have good role models and i think we all know as men that um that's actually quite difficult to find uh, unless you go out of your way and join something like a martial arts group or a fraternity or something along those lines um yeah it's important to have a role model it's important to model yourself after people who are more um more ethical more evolved um more secure in themselves and who have achieved things in life for sure yeah and hopefully there can be some kind of init- actual initiation as there have been for thousands of years for for man
1: Agreed. And definitely agreed. And uh, one of the central themes or stories in your book, Angel, is mm-hmm. that of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. And yeah. Great. Have you watched yeah. the recent movie? I have not. So. I haven't seen it yet. No, I'm not sure if I might be disappointed by it. By that. Really? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> have you seen it, Vance?
2: No, no, I haven't seen that.
1: Okay. I've had I've mixed reviews from people, but it seems worth a watch. I mean, why not? Uh, but yeah, the story really, uh, encompasses the situation and it's a timeless tale, Angel. And yeah, it strikes me as you write. It starts mm-hmm. out with, uh, there's Sir Gawain and the, mm-hmm. the knights of the round table. And what is that? That is normalcy. That is law. That is, right. uh, left brain thinking. Everything's organized. Everything's great. Everything's putting along and people have food on the table. And then suddenly the green knight walks in and he's basically the great symbol of chaos and nature who's going to disrupt everything. Right,
0: exactly. And yeah, so the story continues that the green knight uh, offers a challenge to all of the knights in the court and says, uh, you can chop off my head with my axe so long as I can do the same to you next year, which seems quite a weird bargain to strike. (laughs) And they are quite nervous of this green, uh, very tall, strange knight. But finally, uh, Gawain accepts the challenge. And after his head is chopped off, uh, the green knight Picks up his head and holds it up and says, you "Find me at the Green Chapel a year from now," and uh, and then of course Gwen is plunged into this world of that is beyond good and evil, out in nature, where there's just wild animals and occasional bandits, and uh, and finally comes across a castle where he resides for. Uh, a short time before proceeding to the chapel. And, and there again, you find uh, all these strange encounters, a strange uh, hunt that is going on that seems to reflect things that Gawain is doing in the castle. Uh, yeah. It's quite a, quite a myth with all kinds of uh, ancient lore, I would say that is actually in, in there uh, maybe rather subtly, including the wild hunt, of course.
1: Yeah. And, uh, at the end, the knight spares him, and basically because he held yeah. on to what do you say is the takeaway of this story that we could learn and be like Sir Gawain. He never, he even in the chaos, he keeps his honor and he keeps who he is to himself. Yeah, he holds on yeah. to. Him.
0: That's right. So when he's in the castle, the uh, the the lady of the castle tries to seduce him over several nights, and uh, and he re- uh, refuses. And of course, he's you know as far as he knows, he's going to die in a few days' time anyway. And I think many men would have thought, well, why not? Um, but uh, he re- with
1: a bang, yes, <laughs>
0: exactly. Yeah, but he refuses to do that. And the and the king, I guess, the husband of the lady is out hunting. Um, during the day, while while the lady is trying to seduce him, and uh, and, and noticeably the animals that are killed seem to reflect. Uh, uh Gwen's actions. Uh, so when uh, finally he accepts to take a green magical belt from her to protect him. So on that occasion, a fox is killed because the fox is cunning and devious, and he's acted in a devious way and and wants to use cunning. But uh in, in the end, he is forgiven that and only given a slight nick on his neck for being uh uh for giving in to that kind of uh behavior. Uh, but because he he didn't give in to his other uh, desires, he is spared death. And it turns out that the uh, the Green Knight is actually the the, uh, the 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 castle king or lord, so in disguise.
1: Yeah. So uh, that's yeah. Uh, you would say that we should all be Gawain in some way or another. We all are in this age of in this pandemic.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, certainly, I think going out into the world and going out. Um, And going out into the unknown is definitely important for sure. Uh, Yeah. And uh, and trying to live by some kind of code as well, which is not easy. And, And refraining from just giving in to whatever comes along, no matter how tempting it might appear.
1: There are certainly a lot of temptations today, uh everywhere. Yeah. that's how the yeah. the world is built to tempt us. I mean Yeah, that's right. Ancient times and today it's all and I know this is yeah, it's the Gnostic attitude. Uh the whole world is coded to tempt you. And there's a saying I have uh recently that I really like and I keep using it from uh Franz Kafka and it goes, Evil is anything that distracts. Right. Yeah. So, and there is a lot of distractions. Uh, I also really like, Angel, your chapter on the mechanical world versus the primordial world. Could you, uh, Aye. summarize that briefly? It's a great chapter. All your chapters are great, but this one really struck me.
0: Ah, uh, thank you. Yeah. Essentially, um, it looks at the difference between the primordial world and the modern world. And the, the primary difference being that in the modern world, we uh, dissect everything and we look at things. Um, as they are t- dissected and uh, one example I use is the painter uh, John Constable who's a British painter and um, if you look at his paintings today you think oh these are quite quite boring conservative uh, paintings of landscape with clouds he was, he was mostly known for his clouds and um, but he was actually very radical and what made him radical was that uh, he was the first person to really study clouds. And he actually would hang out with meteorologists trying to learn about meteorology. And um, if you look at painting before that, uh, often you find that the figures are beautifully painted, very realistic, and then there will be these fluffy cotton wool clouds that are completely unrealistic in the sky. And so so he introduced this new element. But what he also did at the same time was rob it of its uh majesty in a way that he emptied the sky of all the gods and deities and goddesses that were up there because before you know if you look at titian there are all these uh strange angelic beings that are up there on those cottonwall clouds <laughs> and uh and now now we ha- and of course with industrialization, you have this sort of emptying out of uh, the mystery in the world, but you could still look up in the sky and think there's God, but Constable essentially took that away, said no, it's all just sort of factual, really. And, um, and so we, we live in this sort of factual mechanical world where it, we're interested in dissecting everything. Uh, another painting I talk about is, um, uh rennie marguerite's i uh, forget the actual title but it uh, has a painting of a pipe and it says uh, this is not a pipe on it and uh you know what marguerite i think effectively did at that point without realizing is uh he says the pipe is not a pipe or the pipe is not a real pipe but the words are real words and we kind of enter into a world at that point where words are more real than real life and I think that this is something we definitely see on Lion in particular, where people mistake what is said as reality and reality is kind of a simulacrum. Um, So, yeah, and somehow we have to get back to the primordial world, the world of meaning, and nature and our own physical bodies, I think.
1: For the audience, uh, Angel, and of course, as I always say, I will have this on the show notes. But for those who are listening in audio only, where can they find out more about you and get your books and so forth?
0: Sure. So so my books, um, The uh, Path of the Warrior, Mystic, and The Three Stages of Initiatic Spirituality are both available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, IndieBound, and, and probably most other booksellers online at least and um yeah pretty much every major bookstore and um including in other countries as well like great britain but uh if they want to f- find out more about me or hypnosis or anything like that then they can go to my website and that's angelmillar.com, a n g e l m i l l a r a-n-g-e-l-m-i-l-l-a-r.com
1: and you offer uh hypnotism services for your clients if somebody wants it they can yeah. find you there yeah, hyp- uh, hypnosis and, and mentoring, sure. Well, very cool. Well, for the audience, I definitely highly recommend you get these two books because uh, we need that stuff in this age of Hermes, as I call it. But uh, we are at least at the end of the interview, even though this age, this Kali Yuga, will just keep on trucking. But Vance, thanks for uh, keeping us company. And uh, I hope when you go to the zoo, you don't um, disturb any gorillas.
2: for sure I won't
1: yeah there's so so much food
2: for thought and self-examination here it was I think it was very fascinating so thank you Angel
1: well thank you I appreciate it yes Angel it's been a great conversation good luck with all your uh, projects thanks for your time and we look forward to our next chat
0: yeah absolutely it's been great and uh, I very much enjoyed your show over the years so it's been a a real pleasure thank you
1: oh thank you very much well have a good rest of your day likewise And there you have it, you veterans of a thousand psychic wars. Angel bringing out demons and demons to fight the good fight and finish the race that is finding your true self. In our second part, Angel will also share insights from his previous book, The Three Stages of Initiatic Spirituality, which includes a very excellent Gnostic initiation exercise. He'll talk more on the way of the warrior mystic, including its embracing sometimes of peaceful methods, as well as why ancestor worship is so important. Angel will share which military leaders in history inspire him. You know we'll talk about Marcus Aurelius. And he'll talk about how actually the right persona is critical in finding who you truly are. And we'll get a bit into hypnotism as a form of meditation. And for some reason, the male orgasm or petite mort. And much more. So please support for the full Warrior Way. And it does help grow this red pill cafeteria. Only $6.99 a lunar cycle. Or whatever you want to pledge on Patreon you can now subscribe to the easy-to-use private RSS feed from Red Circle. No matter where you subscribe, it will cost you about a buck per episode, and that's a deal of many lifetimes. Membership to AB Prime or Patreon mid-levels includes full access to more than 500 quality shows. You'll also get an invitation to the Inner Sanctum of Gnosis Facebook group and my Discord channel. Even support in the form of some shekel donations to PayPal or the U.S. Mail really, really helps. There is also a link on the show notes if you want to donate via Stripe now. And I also have the merch store and an Amazon wish list. The Finding Hermes program is going strong, and so are our virtual Alexandria exclusive private meetings that include exercises loyal to the ancient Gnostics and a monthly Q&A. If you want to understand and experience Gnosticism in its full impact and liberating secrets, become an official citizen of the virtual Alexandria. I've recently done presentations on Abraxas, the Jungian inner journey, the secrets of the Serpent Gnostics, and why we live in Gnostic times, and much more. Woo, I know that's a lot, but I gotta stay spread out as I dodge Archons and their warriors. I'm also on Rockfin or Odyssey if crypto is your bag. If you need help with all these choices, just message me. I am always here to help and I truly appreciate your help. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself. Your true self here in the desert of the real. Hello and goodbye, as always.